Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, good morning. It is uh, it's good to be with you through the blessing of technology, but I do want to say once again, I, I love you very much, and we all miss you uh, very much. We, we certainly desire and look forward to the day that we can gather together physically, but praise God that we're still together here on the Lord's Day spiritually as we seek the Scriptures together. If you're just joining us, or maybe it's been a little while since you've tuned in, we're in the midst of a sermon series entitled Heart to Heart, as we're examining the human heart as revealed in the book of Proverbs. It's been an interesting journey so far. My goal in this series is to do what I call a spiritual EKG. All right, we're looking at what the human heart is, what the heart reveals, what's really going on inside the heart, what God really wants us to do with our heart, and uh, what God wants us to do. Uh, to understand about what is central to our heart and our faith with Jesus Christ. So far in this series, we've talked about in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19, that our heart is a true reflection of who we are. Your heart is the real you. In week two of the series, in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2, we said God only knows the truth of our hearts, that our hearts often deceive us, but God knows what's really there. And then last week in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, in a message entitled The Gatekeeper, we said that we are called to be the gatekeeper of our heart. We decide what goes in, we discern what goes on, and that determines what goes out. All right, so we're building this portrait, this understanding of our hearts based on what has been revealed here in Proverbs. And that leads us to our message today, the title of today's message out of Proverbs chapter 23, verses 15 through 19, is this, the ways of a wise heart. The ways of a wise heart. We're going to discuss about what it is that we want to put into our hearts to determine what comes out of our hearts. That word is wisdom. Godly wisdom. And as I was you know, praying through this message, I began to really think about that key difference between knowledge and wisdom. And we're going to talk about that a lot throughout the course of this message. And I go back in my own journey a couple of years ago to when I was in a Greek class in my seminary. And it is in that class with one individual, one young student about my age, that I saw a perfect portrait of someone that had great knowledge, but had yet to gain wisdom. Now, this young man who was sitting next to me had a brilliant mind. He could memorize Greek paradigms. He could do circles around me and other people in the class with his understanding of the Greek language. Uh, but he was very disheveled. Okay? His hair was everywhere. His clothes were mismatched. He came in late with the toothpaste in the corners of his mouth. He was very strange to deal with socially. Uh, he's not someone that you would enjoy conversation with one-on-one. -on -one. And I began thinking, if this man ever gets called to pastor a church, he may know Greek paradigms. But is he going to hold the hand of a sweet old woman? as she is bedside taking her final breath. You see, he had a lot of intellectual knowledge, but he had yet to acquire some of that godly wisdom. Now, it's the great theologian Eddie Jones who's taught me and many others in our church there's a great difference between knowledge and wisdom. And as I say this, I know in his living room right now, Debbie Jones is shaking her head because she's heard this a thousand times. But knowledge, according to Eddie Jones, is knowing that tomato is a fruit but wisdom is not putting it in your fruit salad. It's an easy way to remember it, but it's so true. And it's very important as we consider true godly wisdom today in our 
message because as we're going to see in the passage here, God desires us to have wisdom, true wisdom, as we reflect his, his glory to the world. So what's our big idea in one sentence? Here it is. The ways of a wise heart lead to eternal blessings. So we must passionately pursue godly wisdom. Again, the ways of a wise heart lead to eternal blessings. So we must passionately pursue godly wisdom. So if you want to know uh, the ways of a wise heart, would you join me by turning to the book of Proverbs? Again, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 23. And we're going to be looking at verses uh, 15 through 19. If you're able to stand wherever you are, I ask you to do so at this time out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. Again, we're in Proverbs chapter 23, and I'll be reading verses 15 through 19. Hear God's word to us. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for this day and we confess that we need you at this hour as we walk through your word and consider the ways of a wise heart. Lord, I pray that you would be richly glorified and that hearts would be filled with greater wisdom at the end of this message than they were when we began. And that can only happen through the anointing of your Holy Spirit. And so I pray that you would anoint these words as Dave prayed that you would hide me behind the cross and that we would just see uh, the heart of you, our Father that we would have a heart of wisdom as we represent you as your image bearers. Help us, Lord. Help us to grow in our wisdom and our understanding of how we can gain that wisdom and be more like your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. And God's people everywhere said, Amen. So as we talk about godly wisdom, I want to start before we talk about wisdom with an even more important word, and that word is love. All right, God clearly shows us that the ultimate goal in our lives is the love of God. The love of God. In uh, Matthew 22 and Mark 12 and Luke 10, the Gospels all show us that the two greatest commandments are to love God and love others. And that's got to be the core of what we're pursuing when we're pursuing wisdom. And so how do I define God's love? How do I define our pursuit of love? Well, I've defined it before this way, and I want to say it again. I believe that love is a sacrificial commitment to unconditionally pursue someone's greatest good for God's greatest glory. I'll say it again because it's really important. Love is a sacrificial commitment to unconditionally pursue someone's greatest good for God's greatest glory. That's what love is. It's not an emotion, even though emotions definitely come from love. It's a sacrificial commitment, and I'm committed to what's good for you and what will glorify God. That is love. Now, now that we know that, what's wisdom? All right, wisdom is the ability to understand and choose what will bring others the most good and God the most glory. 
So anytime we talk about wisdom of the human heart, we need to connect it with the love of God. All right, so as we talk about this and look through the text, we're going to have to again say wisdom is understanding and choosing what is going to bring people the most good and what is going to bring God the most glory. And one last thing I want to say before we walk through the text is I want to paint a portrait in your mind of what I think Solomon is showing us here in Proverbs that we ought to be thinking about as we're reading this passage, and that is this. Through most of the Proverbs, you hear uh, the words of a wise father passing them down to his child. All right, so I want you to picture in your mind a wise old father with a young child sitting on his lap, and he's explaining the ways of the world. And that's the perfect portrait of God through his word, explaining his wisdom to us. So today, I want you to climb up on God's lap, and I want you to hear his word from a father to a child about how to seek the wisdom of the father. And so we're going to look at three blessings that come through the ways of a wise heart. And here's number one. Number one, the ways of a wise heart lead to a happy father lead to a happy father. Listen to verses 15 through 16. It says, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. You know what I love about the Bible? I've said before, I believe the Bible is the heartbeat of God. Certainly it's his story from Genesis to Revelation of what he is doing and creating humanity and recreating humanity through the redemption of his son. But the Bible also reveals the heartbeat of God. We don't know everything about God, but what God has revealed to us in his word, we can put our ears up against his chest and we can hear the beating of his heart. We can know what he loves and what he hates and what he desires for his children. And so we can read this passage and know the heartbeat of God. He says, when your heart's wise, my heart's going to be glad. My inmost being will exult when the words that come off of your tongue and out of your lips are words that are true and right. As image bearers, we reflect who God is to the world. And so he wants us to have wisdom so that we know God rightly and we reflect him accurately. God wants to be understood. When you hold a Bible in your hand, you need to see this as an unspeakable gift that God has given us that he has revealed himself to us because he wants a relationship with us. Anytime you look at a Bible, you need to look at it and say, this is proof that God wants to be understood and he wants to be reflected accurately. And that happens through us pursuing godly wisdom. Now, perhaps when you saw those words, happy father, you thought, well, how is this possible? I want to make a couple of really important distinctions, and I think it is so common in the church today, not just Cedar Street, but the capital C church, that people do not have these distinctions and they get easily confused. And so I want you to listen clearly. You need to have this distinction or you're never going to grow in your relationship with God. And here's a twofold distinction. We need to understand our position before God and our relation to God. And then we need to understand in that intimacy the difference between effort and earning. So let me go back to the first one. What is your position before God and then your relation to God? If you're a Christian, the Bible teaches that you've been given the right to be called a child of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, which means Jesus took care of the punishment of your sin. He earned the righteousness that you were required of. 
And therefore, you're adopted into the family of God, and you're called a child of God. There's nothing that you could have done to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to lose it. All you can do is receive it as a gift of grace by faith in Jesus Christ. That is your position before God. But listen clearly. Your relation to God is your daily intimacy with him as a child to a father. And even though God could not love you anymore or will love you any less at any moment in your life because his love is dependent on his character and not your actions, your intimacy with him is in direct relation to the effort that you make to draw near in obedience. So that leads us to the effort and the earning. You cannot earn your relationship with God, but you must make a daily effort to pursue godly wisdom and obey the commands of God if you have any desire for intimacy with him. Plainly stated, you will never accidentally grow close to God. It will never happen. You have to be intentional as a child drawing near to a father if you want to have closeness with him. And one of the things that God desires is that you grow in wisdom is that you grow in wisdom. And here, here's the great miracle that Christians always seem to misunderstand. You can please the Father through daily obedience. You say, well, Bo, isn't that trying to earn something? No, it's not. You can't earn your relationship with him. You can't earn that position of being a child. But as a father can look at a child and either be pleased that they're obeying or displeased that they're being disobedient. The same is true in our relationship with God. Again, you'll never affect his love for you. That's unconditional. But what is conditional is that we can truly please or displease him. And here's why I think Christians misunderstand this. I've heard many a Christian in this church and in other churches uh, recite the words of Isaiah 64, 6. Okay, they say, uh, Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf, and our, in, in our iniquities like the wind take us away. I've heard so many Christians say, Well, you know, my greatest deeds are like filthy rags. That is a complete misunderstanding of that passage. The context of Isaiah is not for the believer. It's for the unbeliever. It's for the nature that you and I were born into. You and I were born into a sinful nature in which it was impossible to please him. How do we know that? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. All right, so you were born into a nature that you couldn't please him no matter how hard you tried. And the reason why is this. God cares about the motive of your heart. And the motive of the heart of a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit ultimately at a core level is always the motive of selfishness. Now you would say, well, there's, there's non-Christians out there that work a hundred hours a week at the American Red Cross and give all their time and money to other people. But if you peel that back like a Vidalia onion, all right. And you say, why do you want to do that? Well, I want to help people. Well, why do you want to help people? Cause it's the right thing to do. Why is it the right thing to do? Eventually, you'll get to the core of a person's heart, their true motive, and either they're doing it for the glory of self or they're doing it for the glory of God. Without faith, you cannot do it for the glory of God. Therefore, every deed is a filthy rag. But if you are saved, you can do it for the glory of God. Your deeds are not filthy rags if you do them with the motive of wanting to please God. And that's something that is so misunderstood in the church today. The words filthy rag, they belong to non-believers. You're a child of God. Now, you can't earn his love. 
You can't earn your salvation. You can't lose your salvation, but you can please the Father. And what joy and what great motivation it is to get up every day and say, God, I know that I can't earn your love. I know that I can't lose your love, but because I'm secure in your family, oh, I want to make you happy today. I want to do what's going to put a smile on the face of the creator of the universe. And you have the ability to make choices to do that or not do that. And that's where wisdom comes in. That's where wisdom comes in. I think about this more now as a father than I ever have. All right, I have a three-year-old daughter. Most of you know her quite well. And she is the joy of my heart. There's nothing that she could do that would make me love her anymore. There's nothing that she could do that would make me love her any less. There's nothing that she could do to make, me, to make her any more my daughter or nothing that she could do to make her any less my daughter. She will always be my daughter. She will always be loved at the maximum amount right here and right now because my love is not conditional upon her behavior. But she can please me or really displease me on a daily basis. You know, the funny thing is when... We're setting boundaries in our home for her. There are times that she has had to have been disciplined. And when either Ashley or myself, we discipline her, a lot of times she'll turn around and want to give us a hug and say, can I give you a hug? And then she'll say, does that make you happy, Daddy? And I look at her and say, baby, I love you, but you know what would make Daddy happy? If you would listen to me and obey me. It's not going to make me love you anymore. But it is going to make me happy as your father that you're listening to me, that you respect me, that you will obey what I ask you to do. Because that is what, how love is demonstrated. The, the dipstick of love is always obedience. Always. And so we need to understand that father-child relationship. And we need to have a, a desire in our hearts to want to please the father. Because that's how we grow in our walk. And so I want to ask before we move on to point two, how do you actively seek to please God in your daily walk? Think about that. Maybe the past week of your life. Have you made decisions to say, I actively want to please you? Again, it can only happen when you're resting in the fact that you're already a child of God and there's nothing to earn. When you're resting in the love of God and you know that you can't earn it or lose it. But out of that security that you say, you know what, I want to walk out of this house today and whatever I say or think or do, or for those of us right now that we stay in the house, whatever I say, think and do, I want to put a smile on the face of my heavenly father today. What are you doing in your daily life to make that possible? If, if you haven't thought about that consciously, may today be a day that God consciously puts that on your mind. And then as the Holy Spirit convicts you of people to go visit or calls to make or uh, sins to confess or things to do, see them through the lens of a father to a child and say, God, I want to, I want to please you today. I obeying your word. I obeying your word. That's true wisdom. That is true wisdom. So number one, the ways of a wise heart lead to a happy father. Number two, the ways of a wise heart also lead to a healthy fear, a healthy fear. Listen to verse 17. It says, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. All the day. Now, most of us would remember there's quite a few passages in the scriptures that talk about the uh, fear of the Lord and how it's connected to knowledge and wisdom. I'll give you just one. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says clearly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Other passages will say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Basically, if you do not have a healthy fear of God, you will never have wisdom. 
And if you have wisdom and direct correlation, you will have a healthy fear of God. Now, here's a place where I think it's important to make another distinction. Okay? When we talk about the fear of God, there's a difference between condemnation and reverence. All right? There's the fear of condemnation, which we don't want. But then there's the fear of awe and reverence, which we do want. All right, first, let me talk about the fear of condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, according for Christians, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guess what that means? You're a Christian. You've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You no longer need to fear God in the condemnation of a judge because you already know that you've been declared innocent through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So the fear that is called for in this passage is not fear of condemnation. However, we need to have a reverent fear of God as our father because a loving father will discipline his children. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Again, I'll put it in plain English. God is still in the spanking business. And I don't know about you, but I don't quite enjoy those spankings. So I have a healthy fear of God, not a fear of condemnation, not a fear of judgment, but the fear of a loving, holy father who will do what's best for me. And that means that if I step out of line and forget my fear, he will discipline me. He will, and he'll do the same for you. And so we, we need to remember that healthy fear. You know, we say that we love God, and we as human beings, we always attach emotions to our love, even though love is not an emotion. There are days, and we would all say it, that we're singing songs and hymns, and maybe we're here in worship, and our heart is stirred, and our, our tears are coming down our face, and we, we express the love of God in a sweet, intimate way. I thank God for those moments. I miss having those moments with you in this sanctuary. But, you know, there are times in our life where the emotions of our love for God, they grow cold. God feels distant. We, we yearn to have those warm uh, fuzzies again for God. They come and go. But, you know, when the warm fuzzies come and go, sometimes it's the fear of God that keeps me focused. I think about my father whom I love, but I also fear when I'm about to make a decision that may not please him. I stop and I say, okay, God. What do I need to do here that would ultimately please you? And it's fear that helps me to make that decision. So we need to see that connection of that awe and reverent fear of the Father that leads to his wisdom. And so I, I, I want to ask before we move on to our third and final point, if you were to look at your own life, would you say that you have a healthy balance of the love and fear of God? All right, we need to have both. That love is a desire to please him and to receive the love from him, that you're a child, that he's the father, that you're in the family of God, and you want to glorify him. That's a wonderful thing that you can't earn or lose. But the fear of God is, that, is part of that daily walk where we don't fear condemnation. We don't fear judgment. He's no longer uh, the judge that we fear. Jesus has taken care of that. But he's the father that we need to do right by. And again, I, I want to say this. Anybody who ever has had a great father or grandfather would say that that was a man that you did not want to cross, okay? The, the benevolent father that never punishes, that has no rules at all, that lets you walk all over him, we wouldn't say that's a good father. We wouldn't. The perfect father is the one that kept love and fear in balance. 
that disciplined you, but always did it with a heart of love to correct you so that you'd grow in wisdom. Well, think about your own life. Do you have a healthy fear and love of God? If we're going to have wisdom, we're required to have both. We're required to have both. So the ways of a wise heart lead to a happy father, a healthy fear, and third and finally, the ways of a wise father lead to a hopeful future. A hopeful future. Listen to verses 18 through 19. It says, Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Now here's the deal. In your life right now, you are headed in one of two directions. You're either headed closer to God, or you are headed further away from God. God's the goal, and we're moving in a direction of intimacy, or we're moving further away in a, in a detachment from Him, but that's where we're going. And our hope is rooted in growing closer to Him. Our hope is rooted in having the relational presence of God. I've said this several times throughout several sermon series. There's the sovereign ruling presence of God. He's everywhere at all times. But then there's the sweet relational presence of God. And that's something that is a father to a child, intimacy in our relationship. And that's something that we have to work hard for. Like any other relationship, it doesn't happen by accident. And we're either moving closer to God to have that relationship with him, or we're moving further away from him and we're losing that intimacy. So we're moving in one direction or another. And in fact, one of the reasons that we could say that hell, which we believe is a real place, that people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ will go, we can say that, that hell is a place where, where God is still present as a sovereign ruler, but his relational presence is not there. And because his relational presence as a father to a child is not there, that's why it is a place that we would say has no hope. Our hope is rooted in his relational presence. In his relational presence. And wisdom is the roadmap that gets us there. Wisdom is God-ordained, spirit-led revelation that helps us through his word and his spirit to draw close to him and have a relationship with him. Again, as a father to a child. And that's where hope is. If you have a future that's rooted in being closer with God than you are right now, you have hope. If you have a future that you're moving further away from God and you will not have a relationship with him, you're losing hope. Hope in the, relationship, the presence of God, that's the direct relationship right there. And I want to say on this road of drawing closer to God, it's a road to glory that we, run, we move at different paces. Perhaps there are times in your life where you're running on the road to glory into the arms of God. Perhaps there are times that you're walking. And perhaps there are times where maybe you're stopping and sitting down to catch your breath. There are moments that we feel so close to God. And there's moments that he feels so distant. But here's the deal. When you're on the road to glory, when you're working out that salvation with fear and trembling, when you're going to what John Bunyan says in uh, the Pil Pilgrim's Progress to the Celestial City, it's a journey that you're moving in one direction. You may be going at different speeds. There may be times in your life where you feel like God is really doing a mighty work. And again, those dark nights of the soul where it feels like he's a million miles away. But the key is you're moving forward on the road to glory. You're moving as a pilgrim towards the celestial city. 
That's the goal. That's wisdom. Wisdom says, how do I keep on this road? How do I keep growing close to God? How do I work through all the issues I've had in my life and be stronger for it? That's the ways of a wise heart. And so I want to ask a question of application before we close. I just want to ask this. What direction are the decisions of your life leading you? You know, the choices that you've made maybe in the last 30 days of your life, would you say those are choices that have directly drawn you closer to God or that you've gone further away from God? Again, intimacy does not happen by accident. It won't happen in any relationship you have, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your relationship with your own parents or your own children or grandchildren. You will not wake up and have an intimacy with anyone that you yourself do not make an effort to go pursue. The question is, what decisions are you making to either draw closer to God or what decisions have you made that are drawing you away from God? It's important and worth thinking about. And that leads us to our conclusion as we sum all this up in one sentence. Here's what I would want to say about wisdom in the human heart. The ways of a wise heart lead us to more than just information, but guide us in our transformation. The ways of a wise heart lead us to more than just information, but guide us in our transformation. All right, wisdom is not about being smarter. Wisdom is about being more Christ-like. Again, wisdom is not about gaining uh, an inheritance, but it's about growing in intimacy. It's not about transaction, not about information, but it's about transformation. And one of the great passages in the New Testament that give us a perfect portrait of that transformation is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that if you're a born-again Christian, and you're adopted into the family of God, and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are being transformed from one degree of glory to another to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And that happens as your heart gains godly wisdom. That wisdom leads to transformation. So our wisdom is not a, you know, on the basis of just acquiring all this information. Again, go back to the Greek student at my seminary. He's a pretty smart guy. He memorized all these Greek paradigms. He had a lot of knowledge. But how much of that leads to true wisdom that will transform us in our relationship with God as we look more like his son? So as we draw to a close, I want to ask you one last thing. I want to talk about the greatest uh, message of wisdom that you will ever read or see or hear, and that's the message of the cross. It's a message, by the way, that scripture tells us is not wisdom, but foolishness to those who don't understand it. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, Paul also says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So I draw to a close by saying this, The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus lived perfectly the way that we were called to live. He died sacrificially the death that was meant for us. He rose supernaturally, making a way from death to life, conquering sin, hell, and the grave. He ascended heavenly, 
and sent down his Holy Spirit uh, to indwell us and help us. And one day he's coming back to make all things new. That's what we believe. That's the good news. That's the central focus of our lives. And for those who are perishing, the really smart people in the world who think what I just said to you is foolishness, they would not say that's true wisdom. They would say it makes no sense that you had to have a man die on a Roman cross for you to be saved. But we would say it's the truest wisdom that you will ever know. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for those of us who believe it is the power of God. Do you believe this wisdom of the gospel today? Do you believe that you needed, and right now you need, Jesus Christ to be perfect for you? Do you believe that you need him to take your sins on the cross for you? That you need him to rise from the dead to make a way from death to life for you? That you need him to ascend to the fathers to send down the Holy Spirit for you? And that you need him to come back one day to make all things new and give you a new glorified body as you live on a glorified earth. Do you believe that wisdom? Because it's the greatest wisdom that you will ever know. If you receive that wisdom, then you have a heart that can grow in wisdom. But if you will not receive that message, if you consider the wisdom of the world and say what I just said to you is foolishness, then you will never know the ways of a wise heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we love you. We thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, I pray that of everything that was said here this morning, that it's attaching to our hearts, maybe all in different ways, but that we're all taking something from this message, that true wisdom is rooted in your love. It's rooted in intimacy with you and your relational presence. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in your love that we cannot earn, cannot lose but that we would make a genuine effort to seek wisdom because we know it makes your heart glad and that your inward being rejoices when words of wisdom come off our tongue and the ways of wisdom lead us to be more like your son. Father, I pray for those that know the Lord Jesus Christ that have heard these words today, that they would seek wisdom in a greater way. And if there's anyone listening and, and that does not have true wisdom, that does not know or understand or believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, right now, I pray that you would do transformation in the heart, that you'd remove a heart of stone, you'd replace it with a heart of flesh and place your spirit in those people right now, that for the first time they may truly gain a heart of wisdom. Father, we love you, we thank you and praise you, and we offer up all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.